Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Our sermon text is on the back of your worship bulletin, the gospel reading for this morning from Luke 13. We read in verse 31, At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now this is not Herod the Great. He's been dead many, many years. This is Herod Antipas, his son. And Herod Antipas is the ruler in Galilee. So the setting here is Galilee. And Herod Antipas is nowhere near a king. He's a tetrarch. He's ruler of a fourth part of his father's kingdom. So he's kind of a small fry in terms of uh, royalty. And uh, Jesus is rather contemptuous of Herod Antipas. You can tell by his response. He said to them, verse 32, go tell that fox, he's not a lion, he's, he's more on the bottom of the food chain, he's a fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, maybe a reference to his resurrection, I finish my course. That is to say, go tell that guy, I've got more important things to do than to worry about him. He has a destiny to fulfill in Jerusalem. That's the special place where he will go and accomplish his life's work die and to rise again for our forgiveness and our justification. And Jesus is a good example of a man who, having appropriate fear of God, has no fear of human beings. Anyone with an appropriate fear of God loses the fear of man, which is a good thing, a necessary thing when we represent Christ in the world. Verse 33, Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. There's that three-day idea again. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. In other words, go tell Herod that if he wants to kill me, he's going to have to come down to Jerusalem in order to do that. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, here's the kind of the weeping over the city. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. This is probably an allusion to the Psalms, several places in the Psalms, including Psalm 17, verse 8. We hear a reference to the, the wings of the Lord. The psalmist writes, Hide me in the shadow of your wings, O Lord, from those who would assail me. So this imagery of God, God being the protector, the one who overshadows us with his protection, his protective wings, Jesus adopts that metaphor and applies it to himself. He's the protector of the people of God. 
So how often would I have gathered your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. You were not willing. You see, this lesson for today is really about the response of many people to our Lord Jesus. After casting out demons and healing the sick and even raising the dead, they still are not willing to receive him. Verse 35, Behold, your house is forsaken. That is a passive voice verb. It's forsaken by God, in other words. God will absent himself from the city, from the temple, because the people refuse to receive God when he comes. So they bring this God-forsakenness down upon themselves. So, Roman numeral one in your outline, and this is sort of the prophetic pattern here throughout the Bible, those whom God approves, humanity rejects. Those whom God accredits or approves, we instinctively reject. I cite Isaiah 53, speaking of the coming Messiah, eight centuries after Isaiah, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. That's our judgment of Jesus, human judgment of Jesus. And point A, it was true of the prophets. We see that in our first reading for today, the prophet Jeremiah. You could say the same about Moses, rejected by his own people. You could say the same about David. He had to run out of Jerusalem uh, because of his enemies. They ran him out of town. True of Elijah, prophet after prophet after prophet, rejected by God's people. It was true of the prophets, and it's true of Jesus as well. He's in that prophetic tradition. Those whom God approves, we disapprove, we reject. And point B, it's also true of us. It's true of us. And I cite John 17, 11 and 14 to 15, uh, where Jesus says, this is his high priestly prayer. He's praying to his Father in heaven. I'm no longer in the world, but they, meaning my followers, are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Father. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. As in the words of the hymn, I am but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. We are aliens in this environment. As our epistle reading affirms, our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. So we shouldn't be surprised that we find ourselves marginalized by society. It's always been that way. Yeah, I know in the past there was this kind of fall Christianity and this cultural Christianity where it's the polite thing to be Christian, nominally Christian. But when you take the faith seriously, you're always marginalized. It's always been that way. It's always been that way. So those of us who are serious about the faith, who believe it with our, all our hearts, we experience rejection. 
not uncommon. Now, we're privileged here at Grace to have a Financial Peace University. I think it's the second run-through we've had of that course. Great course, uh, Dave Ramsey. Um, and I like to listen to Dave on the radio. I'm driving around town. I'll turn on Dave. And uh, he, he was talking the other day. I think this was maybe Thursday. He was talking about setting up his company, Ramsey Solutions, and hiring people, hiring the best people, you know, uh, and so on. And, th and then he talked about the first person that quit to go someplace else. And it just threw Dave for a loop. He said, you want to leave my company? I mean, my company? You want to leave uh, the best place in Nashville to work? And then he went on to describe, he said, they just about had to take me to the freaking hospital. That's the way Dave talks. I was so distraught over somebody wanting to leave my company. He said to the employee, he said, you realize what you're doing? You're firing me as your boss. That hurts. It took him a while to get over it. And he admitted he never really gets over it. Now, if you've been through a divorce, you know what it is to be fired as a spouse. If you're the pastor of a church and someone leaves, you know what it is to be fired as a pastor. It doesn't feel good. If you're a parent and your children have no more communication with you, they've cut it off, no Facebook, no phone calls, no response to a text message, not even answering the door when you knock. You know what it is to be fired as a parent. It hurts. It's not just that you're not wanted, it's that you're cast aside. You're discarded. You know, when someone physically strikes you, you bruise and you put ice on it and it's better after a few days. When someone rejects you, it bruises you deep inside. What ice is there that you could put on that? When someone fires you in that way, what's the cure? Good question. So point two, Roman numeral two, our response to rejection is first of all, concern for ourselves. We're concerned for ourselves. We hurt. It hurts to be rejected, to be abandoned. And we want to retaliate. That's kind of instinctive. We become angry. So I cite Luke 9. This incident uh, occurs. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. In fact, he sets his face like flint, hard, to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die and rise. And he sent messengers ahead of him to go to a Samaritan village and make preparations for his arrival. But the Samaritans in that village had nothing to do with Jesus because his face was set to go to Jerusalem. See, And they don't get along with Jerusalem in those Samaritan villages. And so the messengers come back and say, I'm sorry, they're not going to welcome you, Lord. And so James and John step up and they say, Lord, 
Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? See, that's retaliation in response to rejection. But Jesus turned on them and rebuked them. And he went on to another village. That's retaliation. My friends, when you suffer for this reason, because you're faithful to God's word, when you suffer because you stand upon the word of God, when you suffer rejection for the sake of the gospel, there's many reasons to be rejected, but when you suffer for the sake of the gospel, you're blessed because at that moment you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus himself. You're bearing the cross. It's what St. Paul talked about. It's called the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And it's a privilege. And it's the best place to be. I'd rather be suffering with him than to be content and happy without him. It's far better, the former than the latter. It's a gift to share his experience, to know him at a deeper level because you've walked in his shoes for a few moments. It's worth it. It is a gift. But our response to rejection is the hurt and often the retaliation. Roman numeral three contrasts that with Jesus. Jesus' response to rejection is not concerned for it's not concerned for himself. It's concerned for those who reject him. That's his response. It is a merciful response. And I, I cite Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Hanging on the cross, his concern is for those who put him there. His concern for those who put him there delivers him from concern for self and concern for retaliation. That's how he copes with our rejection, humanity's rejection of him. He doesn't pity himself, he pities us. Because when we reject him, or when we reject his followers for his sake, we are lost sheep. And you know what happens to lost sheep? They perish, not just in this life, but eternally. He's concerned not for himself, but for you and me. He's concerned for us because when we reject him, we're bringing down that God-forsakenness upon our own heads through our rejection of him. And that is to be pitied. And we are to be pitied in that condition. And through our rejection of him, we show ourselves to be lost sheep. And I, you know, I think it's interesting. Um, some of you probably saw uh, that movie years ago, The Passion of the Christ, and the bloody mess that Jesus was, and, and the horrific uh, beating that he took, and all the blood everywhere, and the gore. And you know, the scripture never speaks of that a word. It never talks about his physical suffering, but it does talk about his emotional hurt, his emotional suffering. My, my soul is greatly troubled, even to the point of death. Keep watch with me for an hour. But they wouldn't. We wouldn't. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with grief. The scriptures speak of his emotional suffering, the hurt deep inside. That's what it talks about. That's what it mentions. And how does he handle the pain of rejection? How does he handle being fired as Savior, as Messiah, as King? By thinking not of himself, but of you and me. Because even if we kill him, he will employ his death for our own advantage, which is exactly what he does. Roman number four, because we reject God, because we fire Christ, we give him a pink slip. He must extend his reign by a sneaky way by forgiveness and by conversion. That's how he extends his kingdom. That's how he overcomes our resistance. You see, that's not coercion at all. When I talk about conversion, I'm not talking about forcing faith on anyone. That's not God's way. No, God employs soft power. It's the power of mercy. You see, our sins sent him to the cross. When we sin, we, indeed, we give him a pink slip. When we sin deliberately, I'm not talking about sins of weakness. A sin of weakness is, is anger that just erupts within you without any warning, and it just comes out. Those words come out, or the thoughts come out. No, th those are sins of weakness. That's different. I'm talking about deliberate sin, what the Old Testament calls sinning with a high hand. When we sin deliberately, we're saying, Lord, I can run my life without you. When we fire Jesus, we're saying, we know better than he does about how we should live and what we should do. That's what humanity said to Jesus on Good Friday. We fired him. He suffered that rejection. But our Lord, knowing our Lord, he would have the last word. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that forgiveness, that powerful forgiveness, soft power, it has its way with us. That soft power changes our hearts. It makes us new people. And we view Jesus differently rather than seeing him as someone not worth our time, we see him as someone who's most important to us. No longer should he be on the periphery, the margin of our lives, but at the very center of our existence. That's how we view him now. Once we rejected him, we fired him, now our lives are all about him. Now we would not have it any other way. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus.